Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete, the podcast where I interview interesting creatives about the internet and beyond, hosted by me, Emma Gannon, and today's guest is Emily Hill. She's a journalist and an author of Bad Romance. In 2016, she was the commissioning editor at The Spectator, and last August she was responsible for the magazine's first ever all-female cover. She's written for The Guardian, book reviews for The New Statesman, features for The Mail on Sunday, as well as gathering gossip for The Evening Standard, and profiling cult figures for Dazed and Confused. So this episode is basically going to be a bit of an anti-Valentine's Day one, and I wanted to dedicate it to talking about being single, what that means right now, and how Bridget Jones seems to be slightly outdated. She does end up with the man in the end, and... I wanted to talk to Emily about her book because the endings aren't necessarily the stereotypical happy ending and her book is so dark and funny and feminist. It's a debut short story collection and I love short stories. Um, They're ideal for anyone on the move who wants to sort of read on the daily commute but doesn't have to commit to a full novel and They're really a collection made for snatched moments to be flipped through and scrolled through and they're just brilliant. They're really, really great and I, some of my favourite books are actually short story collections. I wish there were more of them. Bad Romance is full of tales of the defiant single woman in all shapes and sizes, career girls, sisters, mothers, never-ending parties, flat shares, office nightmares, bad dates. It's all in there and it's just so observational and... The book really is for fans of Roald Dahl, Fleabag, Sex and the City, and I really recommend it. So in this episode, we talk about writing, we talk about getting your confidence back. Emily talks about how she was rejected by a lot of literary agents at the beginning, and why getting married or getting engaged aren't necessarily the big one and only life achievements that need celebrating. We talk about how there are so many other parts of our lives that deserve big parties too. So hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks again for listening and here it is. I'm with Emily Hill to talk about Bad Romance, your book, and we're actually in Unbound, which is the publisher, Yes, but it's quite a unique publisher, isn't it? Yes. So um, basically, I couldn't get a publisher for my short stories because, um, according to publishers, there is no market for short stories. Um, So my agent basically put me in touch with Katie Guest, who uh, used to be the literary editor of The Independent on Sunday. Unfortunately for me, she just fell in love with them and she wanted to do them. And so ended up crowdfunding them, which was completely insane. Um, And yeah, now we're in this ridiculous position where they're getting published in like 10 days and... Yeah, we're in my. It feels strange to say my publisher, but we're in. Yeah. That's where we are. It's so. nice to do it in here because I feel like you get every you get a real personality of a publisher, and you walk in here and you just. I love it. Yeah. But I I was saying before, you know how much I love short stories. Like some of my favorite books are short stories, and um, that's why I said I'm so happy that you've brought this book out because yeah. everyone's going to love it, and it's almost bringing back. The mainstream form of it. I really hope so because I feel like um, what I wanted to do was bring back the English short story because this is a very kind of peculiar English tradition <laughs> of these stories that have twists and uh, plot lines and unexpected outcomes and like Evelyn War and Saki and all these kind and Roald Dahl's adult stories. There's sort of these twists mm. and these punchlines and and like I really 
want people to laugh. That's that's what I really want. So if you find yourself accidentally laughing, you're totally meant to. Um, it is meant to be funny, although sometimes it gets quite dark. But it was it was a real struggle to get anywhere, which is why I'm so grateful to Unbound because basically they give you the chance to prove that you have a market, mm. and it's really difficult at the time. Crowdfunding's really bruising, um, but they wouldn't have got published any other way. I mean, basically, I was told again and again turn them into a memoir and I was like well they're not a memoir <laughs> you know they're, yeah. they're supposed to have this kind of effect you know because my short stories you know a lot of them are inspired by things that happened to me in, in my life but there's you know the heroine always gets her own way in my stories in a sort of peculiar revenge mm. fantasy world <laughs> like, um, you can make more of a comment on something when you're yeah. removed surely yeah. in, yeah. in a fiction yeah and um I just love a short story. I think, you know, I think we do want short stories. And I had uh, my friend Sarah, who was my reader. It took so long to get this book anywhere. I mean, it took So when three did or four you crowdfund it? How many years ago? Uh, no, it was this time last year. Oh, okay. Basically, it launched on Valentine's Day. And then crowdfunded it How did I miss all of this? I would, have, I would have put money behind it. I love it. <laughs> oh, well, I, I just like, I basically had to just accost everybody I'd ever met and just try and get them to put money up but it was really uncomfortable you know I felt really kind of like yeah it's it's not natural for me but I I sort of went a bit mental actually (laughs) like I just went completely insane and I just because I think I'd got to the point where I just really wanted it to happen because I I thought they were good and I thought people would read them Mm. and um and I just yeah so I'm very grateful to Unbound and but it's a very I would never do it again I have to say Mm. like I I just it was just so kind of it was quite traumatic maybe it's a british thing but it's yeah. like we don't really like asking people for yeah. stuff yeah yeah i've never i don't I never ask people for anything <laughs> like it's just not in my nature and i'm not um I liked, what I like to do best of all is sit at home on my own with a bottle of wine and my record player and just sit and type, you know, that's kind of the dream for me. That's because you're a um, writer. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. getting up every morning and writing begging letters to everybody I'd ever met saying, please, honestly, it's really good. Like, no, it's really good. Though It really is really good. And then you'd, I'd just keep going back to people who hadn't. And it was just so antithetical to my nature. It was just... <laughs> but it's also really good that you, you know, the fact that you have done it this way, you know, to any kind of aspiring authors or people listening, when you look at your book, like, it's a beautiful book. It's yeah. hardback. The cover's amazing. Like, it's... It doesn't matter that it was, you know, yeah. there's no difference behind it. If people thought, oh, does the book turn out differently then? If you if you do it that way, that's not, not the case. No, no. I mean, I'm bound to have done it absolutely. I mean, we can we can see where we're sitting now. We can see there's a cabinet full mm. of great books, like The Good Immigrant, which was just amazing, and The Wake that, that got long-listed for the booker, and um, Dead Babies and Seaside Towns by Alice Jolly. I mean, she... She won. I, I can't remember the award she won, but she 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 she's done brilliantly. And yeah. letters of note, which is in every single bookshop you'll ever go into <laughs> nowadays. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting looking at that. It's really exciting. Yeah, thinking. I think I feel like Nikesh has done a great job of crowdfunding things that he felt maybe that people didn't believe there was a market for, and it's just like blown out of the water. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the best things about. Um, 
Unbound is how who they employ. So I mean, like Amy, my publicist, is just so on it. She's just fantastic, and and it was really great to have Katie because Katie guest basically sat down and she, when she said I she loves this particular story which is about leopard print. It's called Rip It to Shreds, which is obviously a Blondie song. So it's a very female book. There's lots of references that women will get that maybe men won't get, but I hope men will like it too. I hope it gives them a bit of an access into the crazy female mind. Um, but uh, she basically sat down and she said, I love your story. And it was because she was the ex-literary editor of The Independent on Sunday. Suddenly, like, this wave of belief just flooded through me. And I thought, like, I must... And it was mainly Katie. I just thought, I, you know, I, I, I love this woman immediately. You know, like you do with lots of women. Like, yeah. that's that's... Most of the journey has been meeting really amazing women and having them read my book mm. and that's why I get such a thrill because I'm like when you said you, you loved it I was like oh my mm. god do you <laughs> and I love also that it's about um the, the threads kind of through it as well is a commenting on single life as yeah. well and yeah. we'll get onto that in a minute because I know that you're you write an amazing column as well for yeah it's just finished actually I've been replaced by Toff oh no I'm a celebrity oh god I, actually, I saw that announcement but I thought that she had a separate column. No, I think I think they've kind of me and young Megan, who's very brilliant. Um, I th- we're not going to write for them anymore for for, the, for that slot. I've got to move on. And yeah. my social media following is pathetic. I mean, like I haven't even. I love that column. Words. I'm upset. Oh, thank you. That's really um, sweet. But of you. you know, it's fine. We've got a book now. <laughs> yeah. So like endless words. It's good. But um, yeah, I want before we go on to the topics. I feel like there's a lot to be said about um being single and also this is going out on valentine's day so very on topic but i wondered um you know some of the some of my favorite um stories in the book i think are only like five pages long um one of them about being single at a party was just that's hilarious thank you i loved it how hard is it to know when the story ends or to craft it when it's that short well um so basically all of my stories i I generally are at the end first. So basically, I have this twist in mind. And um, I mean, that story is inspired by the fact that I do genuinely, I am madly in love with Vladimir Markovsky. I mean, he is <laughs> like, what I, my flatmate basically, he said, oh, show me these pictures of Vladimir Markovsky. Is he really that fit? I was like, yes, he is that I fit. I haven't Googled it. Why have I not done that yet? <laughs> he's a bit of an acquired taste. Like he's kind of, kind of a brutish, kind of very handsome man, but... Ollie was approving. He he did think he was foxy too. But then he sort of said his poetry's terrible. And I was like, how dare you say that? And it was like he'd actually said it about... Because I, I do generally think that... I think you get this a lot. Like, when you're really into your writing, you generally think that these people who've been dead for about 100 years are your best friends. And they know you... Or you know them better than anybody else really knows you. They get you. They've written this... You know, Dostoevsky's written this particular line and the, he, he gets you. And all these people around you don't understand what the hell you're going on about. But... Um, and that's what I think that's the joy of books that's kind of distilled. But but yeah, that, that was... That's my favourite one, personally. Is it? Yeah, it's oh, my favourite one because, like... I do think I've got a lot of Maria in me. And I think some of my heroines, they're just a lot braver than me. I mean, I would never go to a party and behave like Maria. But um, I kind of admire mm, how she behaves. Same. I wanted to be her in that, in that story. How do you store things up? Do you... I know, um, like, Elizabeth Gilbert once said that she just has, like, a box of post-it notes. Oh, right, okay. And then she just goes through them sometimes. Um, no, that doesn't happen. Like, it's just... I, it's funny, I was... 
I'm trying to write a novel now because I, I'm never going to crowdfund again. Like, I know I need to write a novel. That's that's what I need to do. And it's funny because I'm torn as to which novel to write, whether to go down the same kind of avenue and of, as Bad Romance and just take it a bit further or to do something completely different, which is like the sci-fi novel. Um, and I'm not really sure what to do, but it's, it's funny because I was thinking I should go through my old diaries. And it, it's funny, I, I kind of forget what I did and what was happening and... and and I think most of the book is, to be fair, it is made up. And it, it often, I can find things like, like the um, Ripper to Shreds, for instance, was a Leonora, it was based on a, inspired by a Leonora Carrington um, short story about this debutante who, go, who like has, goes to the zoo. She doesn't want to go to her debutante party. So she goes to the zoo and she takes a leopard home with her and sends the leopard to the party for her, wearing her maid's face. I mean, which is, like, way more dark um, than my story turned out. But it was super, super short. And I think the other thing that I did, because I genuinely... One of the things that really upsets me is, like, how single women get completely ignored in society. Mm -hmm. It's like, especially at my age, because I'm 34, turning 35, there's more women, single women in their 30s than at any point in history. There's more single women in their 20s than any point in history. And, and like, we haven't really been represented in fiction since Bridget Jones and Carrie Bradshaw, both of whom are now married, uh, one of whom has a child. So true. And it drives me completely Mm. crazy. And, and like, um, one of the things I was trying to do with the style column probably not very successfully, but was to kind of represent how hard it is to continue dating when you have been dating for years and years and years. And the whole point of bad romance is like telling our stories because our stories haven't ended conventionally. They have, we haven't got married. We haven't had babies. We haven't had this happy ever after. The fairy tale hasn't ended. In fact, like the fairy tale ended in a Hans Christian Andersen sort of sense. And we've had to kind of blunder around in the wilderness so I wanted to say you know we have had stories we are alive we do exist and I think that was part of what I managed to do with Unbound was to, mm. to show actually we, you know come on you know like Rebecca Traster did this all the single ladies book in the US but over here we really haven't yeah. kind of it, it is you know I try pitching things about single women and it's like nobody wants to hear about it because all the editors are married that's so interesting and I think that's why I wanted to do this anti-Valentine's Day episode because the proportion of people who are probably listening to this I bet you it's more single than not if, yeah. if we're talking about this 20 to 30 year old women bracket yeah and I always say you know if I hadn't met my boyfriend on the stroke of luck of that day yeah I I I literally I think I would be single now just because I work with women, I go out with women and I'm very very introverted. Yeah. How the hell would I meet someone? Yeah. I'm I mean, sure I'd be all right on dating apps, but it frightens me. How did you meet your boyfriend in real life then? Yeah, so yeah. I met him um when he freelanced at somewhere I was working around yeah. 6 years ago. When people say, "Well, how do you meet someone?" it's like, "Well, it's luck, isn't it?" Yeah, it is entirely luck. And I think a lot of what happens is we get blamed. Like people go, "Oh, you're obviously single because you haven't tried hard enough." You know, all the comments mm. we get. I did this some um, bad bad romance rep- uh, retort repertoire where I kind of did, you know, tart responses to what we get told mm. all the time like you know it'll happen when you least expect it well you know okay so it's my fault for kind of you know it's like why would you pretend you 
why would you pretend you don't want to go out with someone just so they might magically appear? It doesn't yeah, work like that. No, exactly. <laughs> and, and I do think it's like you do have to genuinely get lucky. And the other thing is, is like, especially, you know, when you get to my age, it doesn't mean you haven't fallen madly in love. It just means it hasn't worked out. You know, a lot of the time, like, I do feel uh, unlucky, actually, because when I fell madly in love with a man, he was not madly in love with me so you know what can you do then it doesn't mean your experience isn't worth kind of marking and I think the thing about Valentine's Day is it's it's pretty much it's just ghastly for everybody really because if you're madly in love with your partner and everything's going brilliantly you don't sort of need a day of the year to sort of say I love you and go out to a restaurant and stare into each other's eyes if you want to or whatever um or buy them flowers or underwear um and so you get this I mean, whenever I have had a boyfriend, which admittedly is a very long time ago, um, I had an absolutely blazing row with them every year, you know, because there was this this pressure. And I like the whole theory of Galentine's Day, which Mm -hmm. is like the day before, and then you can go out and celebrate with your girlfriends. And I mean, I think the whole thing with... I think we put a hell of a lot of pressure on a romantic relationship because there's this idea that there's, you you know, this person out there for us and I mean I know Dolly Alderson's written a lot about female friendship and I completely agree like maybe maybe the loves of my lives just happen to be other women like you know my friend Polly or you know it's, mm-hmm. we, we talk we have I just think there's so many ways that single women and single men their lives have meaning and uh, we don't really explore that I mean we were talking about my favorite card in Scribbler mm-hmm. um, which was years ago now but there was a card and it was a sort of picture of this couple kind of going through this field um together sort of uphill and uh and the caption read it's better to have loved and lost than to have spent your life with a psychopath and that's certainly how I feel it's and, true yeah it is and also this idea of it getting engaged and getting married and having a baby actually they are all brilliant things to a lot of people but what really annoys me is when they're like treated as a massive achievement yes over and above a lot of things that other people think are probably yes. a big achievement so basically yeah I feel exactly the same like so when you know the book I was sort of going the thing is is like I've spent years celebrating other people's life choices like absolutely years like you know uh Hindus, engagement parties um weddings christenings children's birthdays you know just endless endless streams of money have just sort of poured out of me to everybody else's life's happiness mm-hmm. and so and I don't think I'm necessarily going to get married um it would be lovely to meet someone and get married and have a baby but you know I've got to 34 without it happening and um you know the men are getting fewer and uh you know I'm not really sure I'm kind of suited to set- settling down what I really really want to do more than anything is write books so when so when the uh, the crowdfunding happened, you know, like basically it's you, you pledge for a book, and I was kind of saying to my friends, look, who I'd kind of done a lot, well, you know, just been there for a lot and financially too, and I sort of tried the sales patter on them, you know, I might never get married. This is like, but this is what I want to do with my life. I've wanted to be a writer since I was four years old when I mm. accidentally made my dad laugh with this little story I wrote about a princess falling off a, sw- a swing and launching into orbit somehow. And this is what I want to do. This is really important to me. It would mean so much to me. And everybody with Unbound, everybody who pledges gets their name in the back which is a which is a lasting thing you know if you write a book that lasts 
it's a real testament to somebody's affection for you that they've been there for you at that time. But it's a different kind of lifestyle choice and, and people wouldn't get on board with it. Any kind of celebration that doesn't involve marriage and babies is just not... No. Like, people can't get their heads around it. Maybe a lot of authors do think that they, like a book launch is their yeah. is their version of something because... Yeah. I don't know. It's it, it should be. It should be as important. Yeah, I was thinking of your book in this in this episode. The fact I was going to talk to you for this episode because um, I saw online the other day. It's basically this phone add-on that films. It films um, the person you're proposing to whilst right. proposing oh, to them. God. So you press a button. You propose. With the, with the ring on the phone, that's oh my it. God. The ring pops out from the side of the phone, so you're getting like a recorded engagement for Facebook. That sounds vile. And I just thought, social media's made it worse, yeah. hasn't it? I think the whole notion of the big ma- male proposal is just show-off-free on a really bizarre scale. I don't really know what anyone's getting out of that situation. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't know if maybe marriage is something that for millennials... And younger, it, it's not as normal now, is it, to dream of that necessarily because, well, divorce rates are quite high. Yeah. Um, your uh, publicist just said that she was going to a divorce, a party. divorce party. Yeah, a divorce party. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you think that? Do you think that we, we really care about marriage as much as we did? I think we do. I think we care about an absolutely massive white wedding, mm. um, which I find really strange. And I find it strange when my friends change their names, which is totally cool. I'm totally on board with that. But I just didn't think we were doing that anymore, you know? Mm. Um, I don't think I'll ever change my name, but then probably because I won't get married. So um, why would I? It's, it just seems very... It's strange that it's like you have to wear white and it's all quite old-fashioned. It's all really regressive because it's like, why are you wearing white? That ship has sailed, you know? Like, it's mm. not, I'm not a virgin. Um, There's been a lot of films and books recently, I feel, that have been quite, um, you know, empowering for women in the sort of inverted commas but like Amy Schumer's train wreck yes. and films like that yes. but then they end up with the guy at the they end they do they all and end I up just with the guy. kind of think like can you not commit to giving some giving people something where it's not just ending up with the happy ending exactly that's what I wanted to do with bad romance yeah. I was like most most of it doesn't end with a man that is not how it ends you know and that's okay that's actually quite good and we shouldn't feel bad about it like happiness doesn't just come in man's shape you know, it's like, hanging. you know, I have some of the best nights of my life just hanging hanging out with Polly and just, you know, drinking too much. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've met some brilliant women through this. I'm going to go out with my friend Nikki after this and, you know, we'll have fun. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not 100% not saying, like, marriage is a terrible institution or, or nobody should get married. I, I mean, like, I... You know, I love it. Nothing more. I love the speeches at weddings. You know, when you get... you, I think mm. that's a test of a really good wedding when people get up... Like, my friend Frances got married uh, last last summer and just the speeches were so brilliant and, and they didn't... They didn't confine themselves to, like, the father of the bride. It was like, you know, Frances made a speech and her best friend made a speech. And I love the idea that Meghan Markle's going to get up and make a speech. It's like, yeah, go. Go, girl. You know, like... I love being a guest at weddings. Yeah. Like, I love it. The more weddings I go to, the more I love them, but the more I am not sure. Whether it's for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just there's all this hoopla. And I think it's... I think the thing is, is, like... I think there's so much pressure on us to become a certain type of woman. And so if you're not the right kind of woman, people don't really sort of give you any attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've got kind of slightly different ideas about things or, 
live your life in a bit of an alternative way. I mean, I think there's so many ways to live. Every single kind of lifestyle choice, we're like, yes. And if people have got a problem with it, and we're like, come on, get with the 21st century. But if you say I'm single, then you know what? I've stopped dating because... I'm just having terrible, terrible encounters every night of my life. Mm-hmm. People go, well, what have you given up for? And it's like, well, I haven't given up. I'd still like to fall in love. But, you know, you have to you have to draw a line some, some, sometimes. It's, you know, yeah. they say, like, all these things like dating is a numbers game. And you think, yeah, what? What games do you know that are fun that involve loads of numbers? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I can't think of any. I, I mean, I can imagine, and I, when I was dating, it's I'd have to spread them out yeah. as well. Like yeah. you can't just back to back do that. You drain you. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of like because I found it so difficult to date. I was kind of going to all these dating experts and, and sort of trying to learn how to do it because it was just I just hate the apps. I hate them. It's just greasy looking men sending you pervy messages oh. all the time, and then you and dead of, end conversations. Exactly. Just hey, hey. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good weekend? You know, like, how are you going to progress through this? It's just constant pressure. It's, you know, like, every time I go home, I mean, I don't really go home anymore. Sorry, Grandma. I should go home more. But um, I hope your grandma's listening. <laughs> oh, I hope well, she will be. She, my grandma's always listening. Um, she has spies everywhere. Um, she, uh, but, you know, I'm a terrible disappointment to her. You know, she, I'm the oldest grandchild, and I have given her no great grandbabies and I'm very very grateful to my cousin for N- Natasha for sorting that one out for me mm. um but I think the whole problem is we don't have a network and I think the other thing everyone's that, too busy to introduce each other as exactly well. and I do think like instead of kind of guilt guilt tripping us in or, or making little comments about oh you you know well, I don't know why you're single you're so pretty or you're so nice and you're thinking well you know it's like the Bridget Jones thing I don't have scales under my clothes you know like I it's not that, you know, like, I don't kind of go around with, like, man-repellent, you know, pheromones or something. Um, I'm trying my best here. It would be really nice if, you know, any of my friends went, oh, there's this nice single man in the office and he might possibly, you know, he likes books or he likes cinema or something. Mm. And you kind of, you know, just introductions like that. It would be nice instead of kind of going... You know, making little comments that can be quite hurtful. Well, yeah, because in that in that short story that you wrote about the being single at a party, I think she arrives, and then the and then the person who's hosting is like, "Oh, you should meet someone." And it's like, "Well, you haven't asked. You haven't yeah. asked to be set up." Exactly. So that's quite intrusive. But then I feel like there's there are there are two types of, of being single though, because there's being single and really wanting to be. I've yeah. got friends who want to be single. Yeah. They are not interested. Yeah. Maybe it's a phase, maybe it's not. And then there's people who are openly desperate to find someone. Yeah. It's kind of, it's hard to know sometimes where someone stands. Yeah, I think it comes and goes as well. Like, there's been parts of my life where, I mean, when I got the dating column, it's quite difficult because I was in a kind of militantly single phase. You know, I was like, I'm fine on my own. I quite enjoy doing my own thing. My uh, flatmate had uh, just kind of arrived in my life and he's basically like my husband, you know, like we don't we don't sleep with each other because he's not that way inclined, unfortunately. Um, but I sort of have his dinner on the table by half past six and a really weird kind of regressive... I quite like cooking and, you know, like it's, it's just fun hanging out with him and stuff. So I was kind of okay. And then sort of to have to go out there again, because you've got quite a nice domestic situation. I was kind of thinking, mm. you know, I'm okay, I'm alternative, I'm all right. But then I think it changes when you meet a man 
something that you really like and then things spiral very very quickly and and they can kind of, your mind can go in all sorts of weird directions i mean love does terrible things to you i mean that's another theme of the book i mean mm. love there's nothing like love to completely unhinge you um yeah <laughs> and it's gone sort of i mean like the way love has been turned out for me is it's just been one disaster after another it's like a piece that um i'm writing at the minute um is just you know if I was a really terrible driver and I'd got involved in one motorway pile-up after the other, nobody would be urging me back inside a car. They'd be like, step away from the car, mm-hmm. take your foot off the accelerator, you're a really bad driver. For your own health, <laughs> because we love you and we want to, you to stay alive, just, it's not for you. But, mm-hmm. you know, you say I've been completely smashed up by this man. I was totally heartbroken. I couldn't, you know stop crying for like a solid month um you know I used to wake up every morning alone and just like there was I remember one breakup was so bad that I actually woke up in the middle of the night because I was crying it was after my nan had died as well so it was it was mainly probably that but um and I kind of look at all my friends and like especially those that have been with their boyfriends since you know 19 20 like even 25 like I just think you've got absolutely no idea what it's like out here. It's like that scene in when Harry met Sally and there's the couple in bed, Carrie Fisher's in bed with her, her man and she just goes, promise me I'll never have to go out there again. Mm. It's like that. I would love to do that. Like, there's a Valentine's Day card, I think, in Scribbler, which is like... I love you, you're my valentine, and then on small writing at the, at the bottom, it's like, because I never want to go on a dating app again. Yeah. Because I think it's changed as well. Because um, I, I wrote a book two years ago now, but um, there's a chapter on dating, and it's like guardian soulmate style. Yeah. Um, when online dating was sort of a thing, but it was like you'd fill out a long profile. Yeah. So I have never been on Tinder. And I feel like even the difference between old school dating online and like apps is huge. Yeah. And I just think surely I, I it, it is making it worse if we're not meeting people in real life. Because yeah. at least back in the day, maybe you'd go to like an all day picnic or an all day yeah. barbecue. Yeah. You, you know, you've got a whole 12 hours to maybe meet someone in person. Yeah. Also, I think the other thing that goes wrong with apps is if you do the slightest thing wrong, it can just go like that. It's over. There's no second chances. There's no bumping into each other at the pub. There's not being, you know, having mutual friends so they can't just stop talking to you or like running into each other at a party and going, God. But also you're having to sell yourself up front. And I feel like the beauty of meeting someone in real life is... You have to earn that, you know, you get more information, little bits of information from them. You get to know them over a period of time. And it's like, I'm on um, Bumble Biz. So not the Bumble dating, but the Bumble kind of LinkedIn bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, you swipe left and swipe right on like potential businessy connections. Quite like it. Yeah. But that's like, you know, my bio is like my best bits. Yeah. And the, the idea of doing that to meet a guy... I would feel really bizarre about that. And also, you've got quite a glamorous job. I wondered, is it weird for you to, like, do you tell them that up front? Do you keep that back? How does that work? With, um, so with the dating apps, I felt like I needed to be honest because, like, I hate it when people aren't honest with me. And I think I'm too honest. I think that's one of the things that puts men off me. I'm far too I think that's a good thing. I don't know. (laughs) Women always think that. And men kind of are terrified of you. Um, But when I was a dating columnist, I did put dating columnist because I didn't want them kind of, you know... Mm 
been deluded into thinking that like I've never been kissed yes exactly <laughs> so so I did do that um quite upfront. I mean I think it's so I mean like the, the vast majority of dates you go on are perfectly nice lovely men and you sort of have a chat with them and everything is fine but it's just like there's no connection whatsoever and I don't know how we get to a point where we do have com- connections I mean one of my friends who's very young he's only 23 and he comes up with all this sort of very optimistic bullshit um and he said oh well you should put on your dating app you should say that you love Dostoevsky and then you'll meet a man who likes Dostoevsky and I was thinking no like you know they're just gonna have the nobody really reads your profiles on on there and the idea that you're I mean like it's a bit bit weird to really be into Dostoevsky at my age um the irony I think as well is there are loads of lovely lovely men at home in their cardigan having a cup of tea (laughs) and being like I'm not going to go on a dating app yeah Um, I know plenty of lovely men yeah like and they would never go on the apps and I think that's why it's full of you know men with chains in the mirror taking a selfie yeah yeah (laughs) and like with tigers and like skiing we need a revolution we need to change it up and have a revolution this is what I'm saying we need a revolution like so my theory of dating apps is this that the machines have taken over and we are in doomsday scenario and if this was something that affected men, we would be seriously fighting back and saying, this isn't bloody working. But because it's not working for women, it's like, well, who cares? You know, like, we're so worried about um, technology taking over other aspects of our lives and automating it. Well, what is Tinder but automating, you know, the matchmaking? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's like being a slave to an algorithm. Exactly. For life. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't work. I mean, flicking through people's faces, like... I very much doubt that any of the man... I mean, I've probably been in, madly in love twice in my life, and I doubt either of them. I would have, purely on the basis of their faces or the basis of their height or whatever, you know, like you become so kind of demanding. I mean, what, what are you hoping for? Like, what's your ultimate, like, ideal takeaway for people reading your book? Do you have any sort of, like... Are you on a mission in any way? I want them to laugh. That is very important. I want them to be reading it on the tube, which is usually a very unpleasant process because your sort of nose is wedged in somebody else's <laughs> armpit. And to have it on their phone and kind of just... My friend Laura, the first story was published in The Spectator at Christmas in 2016. Amazing. Yeah, which was great. Julia's baby. Um, and... Uh, Laura's now become my friend but basically she's I think she said something like she involuntarily involuntarily snorted <laughs> at the end and I just I, that's what I want I want that kind of ha yeah you know, I, like I did involuntary, that when I when you know if I can hear anybody like looking that would be the dream like mm. I see someone with the book on the tube and she sort of automatically just goes ah you know mm. like some kind of strange noise that yeah. would be I mean you have perfectly summed up so many things that I've thought but probably been too scared to ever say because I'm being observational and sort of like oh <laughs> great oh, I'm so it's glad so it. so good what are you looking forward to for the rest of the year obviously you've got a lot happening people are, have got the book in yeah their hands. yeah they've or have got they the book. Yeah, um, got it now so basically everybody who pledged for the book has got it and Amazing. they're reading it and it's very nerve-wracking but it's also very wonderful when they send them mm. me little text messages and so forth um so yeah so the book's coming out and then I just hope as many people as possible buy it and love it and 
you know, get something out of it. And, you know, I, I love hearing from people. So that really makes me... I mean, I had a very nice email from, you know, a 24-year-old who'd just got divorced. And it was just about... Because I, I said at one point in the column that I feel like... Um, dating is actually like a game of musical chairs you're sort of just running around faster and faster and faster around these sort of men who are kind of in the middle and they're being Mm -hmm. taken away one by one and you're sort of desperate to sit on one and you're like (laughs) um and then you you don't really question what you're doing and and she she basically um felt affinity with that and and told me and that was really really wonderful Mm -hmm. but so yeah so just I don't know what's going to happen. Like, hopefully people will like the book and then, maybe, you know, they'll buy it and that would be wonderful. And, and Are you I really... looking forward to writing more? Yes. Because that's the thing I feel with writing is, um, obviously when you write a book, it's amazing, but then you're going to kind of, if you enjoy writing, it's always going to be something that you want to do again. I feel, I find it very, very anxiety-making uh, writing. Do you? I, I, yeah, I only really enjoy it when I'm drunk, um, <laughs> which is terrible. Um, but I find it, I, I'm struggling to write a novel because I have I could, I've got limitless numbers of short stories that I could write, um, but it just doesn't make any sense to kind of continue writing short stories if you know nobody buys them. Um, so I'm working on novels, but it's it I I the thing is, is I really really lack confidence. I mean, it was you know before I um, I basically got rejected by nearly every agent in London before I found um, Catherine, who's my current agent, and she would. Sam Leith, who was the books editor of The Spectator, put me in touch with her. And if I hadn't worked at The Spectator, I I don't think I'd have an agent. I don't think I would have found Unbound. And Bad Romance would not have been printed. Um, And I massively lack... I have always lacked confidence. I mean, that's why my friend Sarah was so important to me. Because she used to read it and she used to say, no, they're funny. They're funny. Mm. And she always told me we'd get to this point today. And I really didn't believe her. Um, so thank you, Sarah. Um, but I used to force my mum to read the stories. Um, and the last novella is actually quite weird, this sort of strange sex stuff. And now I think, God, why did I force my mother to read that? Sadistic <laughs> daughter, am I? Um, but it was just like I needed someone to read it. And there's this um, brilliant um, anecdote in this Bohemian Frabel book um, where there's this, there's this massive man who goes into a bar and he smashes a chair and he holds holds a knife to someone's throat and then basically commences reading them poetry and then he apologises, pays for all the damage and he says, I'm really sorry, but that's the only way I can get people to listen to my poetry. <laughs> and that genuinely did feel like, you know, for most of writing Bad Romance, I'd be, you know, can somebody read this please? Mm. And desperate for people to read them. Yeah, and they yeah. wouldn't read them and it was just demoralising and I really think, what am I even doing? And I think I struggle that's... with that even now with the novel. Like, it's still there. Mm. I'm just like desperate for somebody to read it and say, oh yeah, it's okay or I want to read more or I got slightly bored are you serious you know it's really inspiring to hear that because I think a lot of people struggle with that but you know if you don't think anyone's going to read it how do you keep that motivation I mean you have to be I do think that's where my madness kind of comes in like madness bad for boys good for writing because you do have that kind of the compulsion like Mm -hmm. I have these ideas and it's especially in my novel my novel I can I keep thinking about my novel all the time I go to sleep thinking of my novel like you know like I've just it's it's kind of fizzing around in my brain and really not doing anything at all apart from that until um, you get it down it's going to be there it down yeah. and like but I do think like oh my god if I got an advance to write my novel I would be sort of locking myself in a room and sitting I mean Jean Reese used to do that so she mm. sort of 
I don't think she got an advance, but at some point the emotional pressure would become so great that she sort of, you know, stayed up for 48 hours and just wrote continuously. And that would be my dream. I mean, Kazuo Shiguro wrote this piece about how he wrote The Remains of the Day. And he went into this zone where, like, for a month he wasn't allowed access to anybody else. <laughs> but then you're Kazuo Shiguro. So, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like, everybody thinks you're a genius and, and is brilliant. And you should be doing that. I think we should lock him in a room more often, I think. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. But no, you've, well, you've, you've done it. You've written the book <laughs> and it's out and it's amazing. So, um, congratulations. Thank um, you very much. Thank you for being my podcast. Thank guest. you. It's Thank a pleasure. You.